Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tej Talks podcast. Uh, if you are not aware, James and I are running a flip weekend on the 6th and 7th of November. So, well, well this podcast might be released afterwards. Awkward if it is, but if it isn't, why aren't you joining us? We're going to take you to four site visits looking at his flip in London that we're following. 60 plus, 60,000 pound plus profit on his. So yeah, send me a DM, send me an email and I'll send you information about the flip weekend. No one else offers this. Simple as that. Two days of education, four side visits. Talk to me. So on today's show, we have David Guest. Now, I followed him on Instagram for a while and he posts some really good content. Commercial Terezi is, is a topic that I think a lot of people want to know about, but there isn't that much information out there that's kind of clear or that shows the ups and the downs and talks about, you know, direct to vendor, talks about the planning system, talks about PD, talks about class MA. So we cover two main topics here. One is direct to vendor. So sending letters out and, you know, trying to get deals direct to the owner instead of going through an agent, which I'm sure many of you would love to do, especially in a market like this. And the second half uh, is really talking about permitted development you know, what he does, an example of his deal, how he finds them, uh, and how he assesses them, you know, using floor plans and square meterage. So here we go. David, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to have you on as a guest. See what I did there. See, I was waiting for that one. Uh, So, you know, I've been following you on Instagram for a while now, actually. Uh, and it's been really interesting to see what you're doing because, you know, commercial to resi, direct to vendor, you're also doing a kind of joint strategy in a different location, which we'll talk about, but primarily the kind of commercial aspect and the direct to vendor aspect. I don't really know anyone, uh, who kind of shares it like you do. And what I mean by that is, you know, the positives, the negatives, the reality, the numbers. You know, I know recently you had an option agreement where planning was refused for like some stupid reasons. Um, cause of course councils have the best interests of the people in mind, um, which I'm sure we can talk about. So I think, you know, this will be a good one for those people really looking at direct vendor and commercial to resi because yeah, you do share so much. And, you know, people listening to this, go look at the show notes. I'll put David's Instagram in there. Go and follow him. But before you got into property, uh, what were you doing? And then, what led you into property? Um, well, I guess unlike most people in property who seem to sort of come out of the corporate day job and all that sort of stuff, I I, um, I shunned the corporate world pretty early on, really. I did a law degree at uni, and then I decided that I didn't want to do law, uh, which I probably always knew, and I became a musician. Um, so since I was 19, I've sort of, toured the world playing bass for artists generally um and then then about five or six years ago when we had our first uh, little boy we've got two now um i stopped touring um and just started working in london um so still music work but working in london and that was um that was a really good transition for me and then uh, gradually um yeah, my I started started being open to property, but yeah, so I spent most of well all of my twenties 
um, and early 30s as a as a touring musician, which is mm. nothing like property. Yeah, I was going to say that's pretty cool. And then, you know, wh- what was the deciding moment or what was the thing that made you say, okay, I need to do property now? Yeah, I mean, uh, my wife's uh, self-employed or has her own business as well. Um, uh, pensions, like our pensions are, are not massive, put it that way. Um, and, you know, we wanted to like take hold of what we're doing um, for our future, for ourselves. And both of our families had um, always had like an interest in property. It's like, not like they had massive portfolios, but like like owned a, a buy-to-let sort of thing. So it wasn't this, it wasn't totally foreign to us. Um, and so in 20, yeah, so about 2019, we were like, actually, you know, we're going to, we're going to make, make a go of it. Like, and at that stage, you know, you don't know what you're doing, right? You're just like looking at every different strategy under the sun, like getting, uh, getting excited by everything. But, um, yeah, it was that sort of want to do more and have more choice, um, I guess for our family and our, and our future, that sort of thing. And I do, I, and I do love like property and, and in general, I've always been a little bit obsessed by it. And then, you know, as sort of most of us know with property, there's so many ways to get started. And a lot of people struggle at the beginning thinking, well, which one do I do? And, you know, did you have that kind of, uh, you know, kind of question for yourself? Were you wondering how to start or was it more straightforward? Yeah, I was. And I was talking to a lot of different people trying to, mainly through Instagram community, I guess, but like talking to people to try and figure out um, what I wanted. And I think like early on, it's, it's really good to, you know, check out all the different, all the different options. Like they all work, right? People do them, but whether they're right for you and your personality type, um, like I, I soon discovered that, well, I knew pretty early on that like service accommodation and HMOs were not going to be for me. They're just too labor intensive, like in the long term. So I thought, well, okay, so it's going to be like buy to let. Um, and so, you know, we're doing buy to lets, but also doing commercial to resi to provide buy to lets, if you see what I mean. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it didn't, it didn't take me that long to sort of, um, figure out which direction I wanted to go in. And then, the first deal, as I'm sure we'll touch on, sort of, which was a commercial to resi deal, and the offer was accepted at the end of 2019, uh, sort of fell on my plate. Um, and so I would have been stupid to turn it down. So I, so I did it. <laughs> uh, it, it, even though I had no idea, no idea about property, let alone commercial to resi, but. And then. You know, I think buy to let is a, is a very common way, and now we have well, we've always had it, but now more people talk about the kind of buy refurbish refinance. Um, the commercial to resi is something that I think from from conversations and networking events and whatnot, people find quite complex, especially with the planning changes and just generally with planning and permitted development and all the use classes and various different rules and whatnot. And then I suppose on a refurb element, you know, it is more complex than a three bed, you know, flip, there's, there's more things to factor in. So people are kind of, uh, I don't say scared of it, but they're definitely more wary of it. How did you like get into it? What were your steps or what research did you do to actually say, well, I can understand this now and I can do it. Um, I think I've done, I know an awful lot more now than I did when I started. And that's not to say like, 
I made loads of mistakes, but I did make some mistakes for sure. But also, um, you know, I, that first project was, was small. It was a single unit and the things that I, it was a little bit of blind optimism. So for example, what we did was we changed the whole of what was an estate agent office, i.e. retail as far as the council convert concerned into a one bed flat now through using class m which is now defunct but did i know all that i know now i would have thought well that's and it was brought subject to planning but that was still like i don't even know if i would have thought that was a possibility but there was i guess there was a little bit of naivety and blind optimism that was like oh let's let's sort of try this um so but since that i guess like i'd say i've done a lot of research on PD rights, especially the new ones and the ins and outs of them, because I think it gives you a competitive advantage. Um, and yeah, knowing your council. So if, if your investment area is within like one, two or three councils, for me, it's three knowing what the difference is between the, them. Um, and then knowing how to analyze a deal. I probably am better at, like percentage wise getting build costs uh closer for a commercial for a you know multi-unit commercial to resi than a three-bed house refurb because i've analyzed more deals um and in a way it's sort of depending on the complexity of the deal i, I don't know i find it sort of easier really um so i think there's just but with commercial to resi you're right there's a lot of moving parts and it's a lot it's 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 very much about um making sure you're across all of it because if you get caught out with like seal or section 106 you know it it can not only like make or break a deal if you if you're in the deal it can you know seal is payable on commencement of building work so if you've not factored in a seal payment that could be literally hundreds of thousands of pounds um then you know you're in the you're in trouble, aren't you? So, yeah, you've just got to be uh, across all the different things and, and, and be aware that there's a lot of moving parts to commercial to resi, I think. And, you know, are there any places people can go or any books or anything you can recommend that could help people at least kind of get started? Um, obviously, apart from what we're going to talk about here, but like that could help get them started in commercial to resi or any websites, government things, anything like that? Um, yeah, I t- what, there's, um, there's a website called Planning Geek, which is owned by a guy called Ian Wormsley, who's a planning consultant. That's like, that's sort of my first port of call go to. Um, and the things I say is like, actually, the, the PD uh, statutes, like in, in law, the, the actual documents, they're not actually that lengthy. You can you can read through them in a couple of minutes. Um, like now it's really class MA. You need to know class MA inside out, which has overtaken class O and class M. Like if you, you know, if you read that every day for 14 days, you'd probably know it inside out. Um, so it's, and it's, it's not that long and just read a bit of commentary on it. Um, other than that, um, well, then I guess the next best place is go on the planning portal and go and look for type in prior approval, uh, and go and find all the, all the applications that have both been successful and unsuccessful and find out why and look at why, look at the reasons. Because you've got, you know, a few criteria, and if you pass them, you've got you've got PD. Um, so there's not really much to it than that. But you just it helps to know to know those rights inside out, I guess. 
Yeah, definitely. I think the planning portal is is, is such a, a wealth of kind of knowledge and especially local knowledge. I think like when I'm looking at land, you know, looking at planning that has gone in, in and around the area or previously on the site can kind of give you a lot of clues to what is happening recently, locally, who's saying what, what's their kind of view, uh, you know, as well as the kind of other documents. So, you know, for PD and things like that, I think it helps a lot. And, you know, I mean, there's some people who like, you know, they're getting a doormat done. They just copy next door planning. So, so you know, the, the planning portal can be so useful for learning a lot. And it's quite underused, I think, because it's free. Yeah, they're not the best websites, councils, but, you know, the search feature works most of the time. And yeah. so, you know, when you started out looking at commercial DeResi, did you have a, uh, and I suppose has that changed to now? Like, do you, did and do you have a specific Right, we are looking for shops with flats on top. Oh, we're looking for offices. Did you have a particular thing commercially you were looking for? Um, yeah, so I I look for anything that falls into PD rights. I don't like. Don't get me wrong. Other people, other landowners, might get letters from us uh, from me, but I try to keep it to PD rights because I know I can assess them pretty well myself, um, and I know I know what I can do with them. So when people are getting into like grade two listed chapels, I'm like, that is amazing and like fair play, but that's not for me right now. Um, so yeah, it, you got, you know, uppers of shops, rears of shops, um, and obviously with MA, technically all of shops, depending on light and other things and where they are, uh, and, and offices. Um, and that's what, that's what I go after. I don't really go after anything else. Like if I happen to find a plot of land next to an office that I'm sending a letter to, they'll get a letter to, as I say, but um, I keep it just that. And I'll try and keep it, I keep it under the section 106 um, amounts of whatever council. So for Dartford council, for example, section 106 kicks in at 14 units and for Bromley it's 10. So I wouldn't be looking for schemes bigger than that. Um, and I, I, you know, also I don't really want to try and deliver a scheme bigger than that at the moment, uh, in terms of my competence as, as a developer. Um, I don't want to push the boat. Um, I, don't, I also don't really feel, feel that I need to. Um, the profits on a nine, 10 unit scheme are like, are, you know, in South, in the Southeast, even in Dartford, which is probably one of the cheapest areas inside the M25, the profits are still pretty healthy if you get in you know, a 25% return on GDV. So, um, yeah, that, that's what I'm looking for. And, and I don't really go outside those parameters. Mm. And, you know, what, let's do a quick definition for people who are like, totally new to property. What is PD? And I suppose, how does it differ from like full planning permission? Uh, so PD is permitted development. So there's all sorts of permitted development. So, you know, to change a house into an HMO is a, is another type of PD to put an extension on the back of your semi-detached or detached house is a PD. Um, so they're all, there's lots of different types of PD. Um, some of them are prior approval process, um, which means that you do have to apply like a planning permission, but if you satisfy five criteria, then technically the, the, the permission is already on the building planning consultant sort of speak but if you satisfy those criteria you will get planning permission um and uh it and it can only take 56 days uh and after 56 days you need to have your determination if the council don't reply in that time 
that can only take another seven days if you serve deemed consent on them. Uh, and if they don't get back to you in that, you've got the PD by default. So it's, it's quicker. It's a lot more streamlined process. It's, um, it's easier technically. Although, as you say, we've just had a refusal. Um, but you know, it's, it for, I think the main thing is for a, uh, a beginner, somebody who's looking at commercial Terezi PD, like there's no shortage of stock in most, you know, towns and cities. So if you stick to PD, then you don't get into like amenity space and all stuff like that, which like is a, a much more of a gray area. Um, and that's, that's why I stuck to it because basically it's easier. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, it's more efficient, isn't it? I mean, dealing with full planning 56 days, sometimes I don't even bloody validate it for 56 days. It takes forever. Um, yeah. So there's definitely a difference in, I suppose, cost, the time it takes, and, and I suppose your risk, you know, with PD, you have a higher chance of it going through, really. I mean, most times it should it should be straightforward, um, whereas the planning is, yeah, anyone listening who's dealt with planning or even heard of planning departments, you'll just know kind of what they're known for, which is, yeah, nothing good. So, yeah, you know, with this, with permitted development, you know, you're looking for anything under permitted development. So because it's quite broad and it's kind of like, well, you know, there's a decent range within that. When you're looking at deals and you're sort of stacking them up, you know, when I look at a buy to let, it's a very straightforward, yep, the end is it's a three bed, it's a three bed on a mortgage, done. If I'm looking at a flip, it's, there's only one way to do it, but you have so many options with maybe the same building like your deal analysis, does it take longer? How do you know what and how you could put in that space? Yeah, so yeah, often with commercial, one of, one of the things why you might lose out, I guess, on some commercial deals is like you could have 10 people view a commercial premises and, and there'd be 10 different ideas on how exactly they're going to divide it up or what they're going to do with it. So there's a lot of, I guess, again, it starts with, okay, so how big is it? Right. Um, so every new flat has to be 37 square meters now, uh, as of last April, I believe, or this April. Um, uh, so it has to subscribe, it has to be the minimum space standards. If it's flat is over one story, a studio flat must be 37 square meters. And you, so, you know, work it up to 40. So let's say, all right, if you've got a 120 square meter, building then you may be able to fit up to three flats in that right three one bed flats or studio flats and then the next question is is windows so you can't change windows under class ma and you can't do under class o either but you could previously do it under class m but anyway narrowing class ma you can't put in windows as part of a pd application so um you might have to go back into full planning after that which is something we're doing on our scheme at the moment but if you work it off, you know, 40 to 50 square meters per flat, ideally a 50 square meter one bed flat is, is, is a good size one bed flat. Um, and divide the building up and, and obviously if it divides well, the schemes that work well are where the floor plate of a commercial Terezi divides up well. Um, so, and yeah so in first instance it's very much about the size and the windows of, of you know what you can 
what you can get in it. Um, and then after that, you know, you just do the GDV calcs. Um, the, the advantage of commercial Terezi, I guess, is that you're creating a new dwelling. Um, so as far as sales are concerned, um, it's, it's a new home. So, you, you know, you can sell with help to buy, for example. Um, you can perhaps, depending on the location, command a premium for a new dwelling. Um, whereas, obviously, refurbishing an existing unit isn't a new dwelling, so you won't get that same premium. Um, that depends how much you want to obviously bank on getting a premium. But, um, yeah, so th- that's where I start with it. And the GDV calcs are, I always look at, um, best case and worst case and everything in between for that matter of what say a one bed flat has sold for and then the square meterage of that one bed flat so you know there's I say there's one bed flats that are like 37 square meters and there's one bed flats that are 60 square meters so you've got to get to grips with what you're getting uh, per square meter in any given location um, and from that you can normally get a pretty pretty good deal um one of the new things about class ma as well is that you now can't use pd to convert a commercial premises into an hmo um which you could previously with class o um although there may or may not be ways around that we'll we'll, you know time will tell but um so converting a commercial premises into apartments is sort of the best route now um or slash the o- the only route um, in terms of residential com- you know residential conversion I guess unless you go houses if if it, something lends itself to to house house conversion mm. and so I suppose here it's about the square meterage it's about the floor plan it's kind of more of a uh, sort of spatial kind of analysis at the, at the right at the beginning to see well what can we even make out of it whereas a bytelet it's like this is you know what it is really you might change a bedroom or two but you know you're yeah. really playing with those those floor plans and you know with class ma which you've mentioned a few times which has come in recently um again for people who you know are brand new to this what is class ma what does it cover what does it mean really for us as investors uh so class ma covers the ability to change all class e commercial premises which uh, includes shops, offices, uh, and a few other things as well that previously weren't covered. So, um, what was old class D one? So, like uh, dentist, doctors, surgeries, and stuff like that, uh, and a few other things. Um, the ability to convert those into residential accommodation, essentially, and it's the same prior approval process. Um, so it covers a wider range, and technically, you can even convert a frontage on the high street. Whether you want to do that or not is another matter. <laughs> Interesting. And you know what you said earlier about the windows is is a kind of a, a hit of realism, I think, because you know I think people see PD and say, "Oh, well, that's great. We do it. We don't need planning. It's easy. It's done." But then it's like, "Well, hold on a minute. You could be waiting and planning for months." just for a bleeding window, which actually may be quite key or essential to like that particular flat working well, or, you know, adding to the GDV because otherwise, you know, we got a kitchen without a window or whatever it is. And so 
you know, it's kind of, I suppose it's irritating for us as well. That It's like, well, thanks for giving us PD, but then no thanks for kind of, you know, delaying everything and having to go to play for a window is kind of like, it just seems a bit silly. Yeah, there's there's a lot of changes actually to M8. And it, when it came in, it was sort of, uh, a lot of investors or developers were sort of like hailing it as the, you know, the new dawn of, of home building. But there's a lot of complexity to it. Or there's, well, no, there's a few things that have changed which make it harder, essentially. Um, you know, one of which has got to be the building has to be vacant. So, which, you know, if you convert in the whole of the building, the whole of the building has to be vacant um, for three months. Right. So, you know, there's none of this. You can't secure something on an option, for example, and just and that is partially tenanted and get PD on it anymore. That's not going to happen. Um, and as you say, like with the window sort of thing, we've, you know, we've got a scheme where we've got uh, eight flats and we have to add roof lights to get the ninth flat. Uh, and obviously we want the ninth flat. Um, the advantage should be is that we've got consented PD on it. So, and they, the, the planners have seen the scheme in pre-app as well. So, and they don't, they, they've got no issues with it, but we still got to wait another eight, 12, who knows how many weeks, um, to, to get started, um, with that. I mean, we can actually get started on the building anyway, because we've got the PD, but yeah, there's a bit of a, there's a few nuances to it, which aren't ideal in some ways. Um, mm. yeah. Yeah, the vacancy thing, it sounds like they're just trying to say, well, if it wasn't vacant, that means there's demand for it. So we want it to be vacant to prove that it's empty and it doesn't need to be used. Or I, I don't know, it just seems like them being lazy, but huh, they'd never be lazy, would they? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. I get it. I, I do get it, but like in terms of office space, particularly in certain certain areas, and I, you know, I think actually some some town centres already, like you're hearing of like office space is actually at a premium, even post-COVID. Mm. So I get it. Uh, yeah, it's just sometimes, it's just annoying sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, let's let's maybe look at a case study of one of your deals. I, can't, I don't know the name of it, but it's the one you posted where you had the marble effect tiles, I think, and the black shower. Black shower, am I making sense? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so like how did you find that what is it and like what were the figures let's let's kind of talk through that because i think it makes it more real for people right when they hear the kind of theory actually put into a deal that you've done yeah so that was um that was my first my first commercial tresi deal which was my first sort of deal as an investor um and we uh, secured it off market through my like like at a party basically and i got talking to somebody's uh somebody's father whose business partner was like selling this thing and it had been valued by by a commercial agent and uh he just told me that as in he he knew how much the other business his business partner would take um so he said look i know i'll take this so i, I said well can you know can i go and have a look at it and at the time as i say i was i was just an inquisitive sort of uh, inexperienced wannabe property investor um, went and had a look. Said, "Well, I think you could convert this to a one-bed flat. Uh, like the layout worked pretty well. It was in a row of houses uh, with and the other half of the estate agent's office on the other side, and then houses and a flat above it. So I thought, well, and Brom, Bromley Council, as much as 
they are one of the most annoying councils in the country. They, uh, if you if you drive around Bromley, you'll notice, or, or the suburbs of Bromley, you'll notice that actually this has happened like quite a lot of times. So we applied for Class M, got it first time, 56 days later. Um, it was a subject to planning deal. We purchased for one £120,000. Um, so it's in SE9 in South London, South East London. Um, and then <laughs> we had some bin and bike conditions, which then took 13 weeks to be discharged. I've since learned that if you have conditions on a PD application, you can apply for deemed discharge in the same way as deemed consent, which uh, which we eventually did do, and they, uh, but you can do it at eight weeks as well. Hold on, they took thirteen weeks to discharge conditions about a freaking bike. Yeah, and it's like it's got it's got, it's got a back garden. We're like put it in the back garden. There's like there's a wooden a wooden tim, you know thing to put your bike in. What's what's the issue? Oh God, that's just. Do they want a marble laced, gold coated freaking bike shed with enough room for? Oh, anyways, it was COVID. It was lockdown one, so that's all you need to know. Like, I mean, oh, if, you course, think, yeah. if, if you think people are still, you know, it's like, oh, we're working from home and we've not got email. So, anyway, that was that was good. Uh, and then over the course of about four months, we refurbished it, uh, despite you know shortage of plaster and windows and you know it's about a month delay uh with the windows um and a few other little things but it went pretty well um definitely a couple of learnings in there we furbished it for including fees for about i think it was 57 or 58 thousand pounds mm-hmm. um fees were pretty hefty fees were about including um legal fees and the, uh, the vendor's legal fees, which were part of the deal. Um, it was about 15 grand of fees. Um, so it was about 40, some 42, 43 of refurb cost, um, which works out about £1,000 a square metre. And then we uh, tenanted it and uh, refinanced it uh, 240,000 pounds end value. Um, so we, if we, we didn't actually put a 75% LTV mortgage on it. If we had have done, we would have, um, pulled all, all our money out, but the, the rate we could get at 70% was infinitely better. So, um, we did, we did that instead, but it was, you know, it's a great deal. I'd do it again any day. <laughs> and how much money did you leave in that deal? Uh, so we left in about 10 grand, I think, or nine, nine and a half, something like that. Wow. And that's, you know, southeast, just outside London? Yes, SE9. It's like in uh, Eltham, Mottingham area. Wow. And you found that direct to vendor? Yeah. Yeah. How many letters do you think it would, how many, or how many letters do you think it took before, like to find that deal? I know it's not an exact science, but for people listening in terms of like, the kind of realistic ratio they can expect. What do you think it was for that deal? Well, that 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 one was just that one was actually before I started all the D to V campaign. Um, that that was just talking to a you know a friend's a friend's dad. But um, in terms of like sending D to V letters, um, I probably I'd say you probably got to send like mm, five hundred letters maybe for a deal. Wow. 
And is that 500 letters, you know, once or is that over, you know, three different occasions? No, like once, like, and you could repeat them. It, it's it's funny with director vendor, like you can, like, because I send a lot of letters and, and every month, really, um, you know, the, the deal that we've got, um, that we're preparing to get on site for at the moment in Dartford, like that was, uh, it was the second letter that got a response from them. And so we, we sent, I don't know, maybe a hundred letters out to, um, this, this area. And first, you know, the first hundred got, have, I don't know, seven replies or something. About 7% is about right. And, uh, that, you know, they weren't one of them. And then the second time we, we wrote again. Uh, and we got a reply from them. We met them on site and and, and carried on. So, uh, yeah, I'd say about five hundred. Like, it's uh, I, I I am quite a stat geek to be honest with you. So, and like I do record like what because there's different routes with direct vendor in terms of what like how you're finding the properties that you're sending letters to, but and some of them more successful than others, um, both in terms of response rate and like potential potential deals. Um, so yeah, it's a bit, it's, it's not an exact science. Um, but the, the, the crux of it is I have, you know, relatively frequently people on Instagram, are like, you know, how do you, how do you know who to send letters to or how many letters have you got to send? And my answer is send a thousand letters and come back to me. Because <laughs> if you, if you send a thousand letters and you don't get anywhere, any sniff of a deal, then you're doing something you know wrong like insulting landowners but if you if you send a thousand letters i would think you you know you you would get a deal like i've been unlucky a few times i've been put in a contract race for example on a mm-hmm. dtv um i've had an option agreement where we've we've had had planning refused so you know those deals haven't come to much but that's not really because of the vendor um well the contract race was but you see what i mean so there's it's not an exact science, but the more you do, the more you send, the more responses you'll get and the more people you'll meet. And commercial property owners tend to be uh, rich, basically. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, tend, they tend to have money and be business people and therefore open to different options that you would never be able to get if you were dealing with an estate agent on the market. And I suppose that leads nicely to my next question, which is what made you and i suppose still does like go so hard on the director vendor stuff versus kind of agents um why do you prefer it uh you know do you still work with agents as well um i look at stuff on the market if only to make myself feel like i'm actually doing something (laughs) (laughs) um like in this market so i guess you know i have a bit of a theory when it comes to uh the market when it's when it's like this like when it's like it was in i don't know 2014 when i wasn't in it um then i'm sure it's more possible and i know guys i know i know guys very well that you know have and are buying commercial premises that is on the market um but they're almost all no they're, they're all more experienced than me so my theory is that if you're buying stuff, if you're looking at stuff on the market in this in this market, which is a you know really really hot, you're competing against people that are well. There's four things: people that are overestimating GDV, and you can't you can't compete against that. 
you're competing against people that are parking cash or buying on a yield and like don't need to redevelop or see that as a, like a, as a as a positive thing people that believe they can do the work for less than you can or indeed actually can do the work for less than you can um so you know i've got a, i've used a contractor in the past who who um develops himself so he can do it at cost so he's automatically 20 percent cheaper than, than me which means that he can offer a building owner more um and then just people who if all those things are even then people who are working to a less profit on gdv so i won't go depending on what the project is and size and whatever else i normally i work to 25 percent return on gdv um if it's a smaller project for example and i plan on holding and i can afford to leave money in i might i might go down to 20 percent return on gdv but other people other people go to 15 percent uh I, I won't and i guess that's partially because i'm not i'm not good i'm not good enough not to do you know what i mean like i know my limitations like i'm not a builder um I've not got 10 years or 20 years experience. Um, so I need to mitigate my risk. Um, and so the best way to mitigate my risk is to get good deals off market um, that care, that are either creatively funded or secured on an option or um, of a size where I'm happy to take on debt or what you know whatever it is depending on the deal um so it's all part of risk mitigation really so those are the reasons why i don't really bother with the market at the moment at least and as i said previously like the creative strategies that you can form with vendors who have properties off market we're like yeah we probably need to sell this um it's not it's not like direct to vendor well i have no idea about direct to vendor on residential properties because you're generally going to be dealing, obviously there's landlords, but you're going to be dealing with um, homeowners a lot of the time, whereas nobody lives in their commercial property, generally speaking. So often they've been held for 30, 40, 50 years, you know, a business partner dies and they're like, oh yeah, we should probably sell it, but we haven't got around to put it on the market. Um, So that's the, you just open up a door. So one of the ones, we've got one in, one that's progressing. Um, we're having a few conversations with the building at the moment, and the one that we've got secured the Dartford project, the conversion to uh, hopefully nine, but if not eight flats. Um, you know that using like really creative strategies that actually mitigate my risk hugely. Like they mitigate, the, they half my profit as well. Like I'm, I'm, a take, I'm taking on a business partner essentially in that deal, but. Um, it mitigates my risk and, and that's what I want to be doing at, at this stage, especially in, in this market. Um, so yeah, that's, that's why I direct a vendor basically because I'm not good enough to buy off the market. <laughs> <laughs> I think like knowing the reality and especially in a market like this, you know, and I think, I think most investors are not going to pay enough to buy on the market, even in the previous, you know, kind of how it was before COVID. Um, you know, our ideal price is never what it's going to go for on the market because of the reasons you said there. So I think being aware of that limitation then sets you off kind of in the right place or doing the right thing. Um, 
And, you know, like, like the control as well, you know, you can negotiate directly with the owner instead of trying to say to an agent, can we do an option? Oh, what's an option? Or yeah. can we do this? Oh, no, the buyer doesn't want this. When it's like, well, maybe they would if, you know, like someone explained it to them. Um, yeah. So- yeah. I mean, that's to- totally right. And, and commercial agents, yeah, I mean, commercial agents are a uh, different different breed and, and they will they'll they'll know all about options and subject twos and, and whatever else but if they believe that their client can sell on con then they'll always advise their client to sell on con because even if they're getting slightly less because they're on a percentage and they and commercial agents especially because it's a slower moving game they want their um commission sooner um so you know if, if it's like that, you know they have to put it technically to the um, to the vendor, but um, in my experience, they will always try and advise them to to sell on come if if they will. And, and for the reasons previously mentioned, especially in this market, there's people that will buy something on con even if it's got limited conversion potential. Um, especially if it's like part let, they'll just take a view on it. Yeah, that, that is definitely happening. And I suppose that's kind of an, an adaptation, you know, as this market has been hot for, I don't know how many months now, it's like people are still getting deals. Um, I think a lot of them seem to be off market or were in, you know, process before all their direct to vendor. So it's, it's kind of a good strategy that works in every market because now you're potentially getting good deals. But in, you know, what it was like before, you're probably getting even better deals. Um, because it's direct to vendor. Now, you know, from reading your Instagram posts, you know, direct to vendor is a commitment. There is work to be done. Obviously, there's technology and software that you use to kind of make it easier. But in terms of like time and, I don't know, headspace commitment, how much of a commitment is direct to vendor, at least at the level you're sending things out at? Um, I reckon I can like remotely. So I not leaving my own home. Um, and actually we did this on a, I've just done a hundred letters to, to a couple of areas of Manchester. So with, uh, with a friend. So it has worked. Um, I saw, I do know Manchester cause I used to live there. I'll, I'll temper it with that. But if you know an area within, with not leaving your home, I reckon I can find, um, like 10 properties per hour that are good potentials like either either vacant becoming vacant or another reason for sending a letter to so if you work it off that then send 100 letters that's that's 10 hours um the actual sending of them you know say we use stamp for that and then just upload it to, to that and, and, and to get, get it sent out the other thing is once you've got the ownership docs and uh, and everything else then you've got them so you resend it so the second campaign is quicker and cheaper than the, the first campaign so you know if you sent out you've got to look at it like a roll-up thing you're not going to go and find a thousand properties like by next week but if you do if you do 50 a week so i started by doing 50 a week um so five hours a week you know an hour in an evening uh if, if you if you're working full-time um if you do 50 a week then in four or five months you'll have uh you'll have a thousand properties right yeah i think it's 
it's something that needs time and needs a commitment and, and needs the expectation that, look, we're going to send out X many letters, but 95% of them are going to lead to nothing. And then the ones we do meet, 95% of them will lead to nothing. But that one deal that comes from it will be worth, you know, all the kind of effort. But it's hard for people to see that, right? Like who are, say, I don't know, 10,000 letters behind you, you know, who are kind of uh, starting it now. And, yeah, yeah. and your process, am I right in saying that you are looking for you know, you're not sort of sending it out to, you know, here's some streets like you might on Resi, here's a thousand leaflets. You're actually saying, right, Google Earth or Street View, whatever, or driving around, you're finding the specific properties that look or that show what you need and you're sending to them? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, individual properties, we use Nimbus uh, Maps, which is a mapping software for those that don't know, similar to Land Insight or Land Search. And, um, I have like a really quick vetting process for a property in terms of its conversion potential. And, um, yeah, just like look at it, you know, if it looks, if it looks a bit shabby, then all, all the better. But, um, it, you know, a property that we've got reason to look at, look at it. Does it have conversion potential? Yes. Like what's the use class? Cool. Then, you know, get the, get the, if it's held in a company, Nimbus will tell us that. If it's not, then we download the land docs from Landreg for three pounds per time, and then and go from there. Um, and like, I don't bother spending. If you know, as soon as you start looking at planning history of individual buildings, you're onto a you're in you're in a black hole of <laughs> of uh, doom. And oh, look, at like three hours have passed, and I've got three properties, sort of thing. Um, you just need to get the letters out there um, because the more letters that go, the more building owners you talk to. And it might not be that building, but they go, oh, actually, I've got another one um, that looking at getting rid of. I've had that plenty of times. Mm. And, you know, this process, you know, I've only done a little bit of D2V, but I remember creating videos for a potential VA to kind of do some of this at, at some stage, even if it's I find the deals they go on language, they put it into stamp, they make, do, basically they do all the admin, the templates there, they make sure it's all correct. So I think to an extent, some of this can actually be outsourced if people, you know, want to. Um, yeah. Now, in your kind of experience with direct vendor, um, you know, do you find that, I suppose the one question is, for you personally, is it worth the time and effort that you put into it? For me, yeah, because of like, for what you know. Well, put simply, I don't think I would have secured I would have secured anything on the market in the last year, uh, and I have secured other things off the market. So, for me, yes, uh, it's uh, you know, and the structure of the, the the deals that we have secured, we certainly wouldn't have secured on the market so for me it's it's definitely worth the effort um and yeah i don't really mind it i don't like for me like sitting down with like nimbus and a spreadsheet at the end of a day is like is like the easy bit of work you know what i mean um so i i fully stand by it like i say if people can secure great deals on the market like great like brilliant um they're just better than me <laughs> and then in these letters right because people i think people always think there is a silver bullet or like a magical format or font or things you say 
Um, yeah. Your letter, you know, what does it say? Is it really complex? Yeah, people like people are like, have you got a template for a letter? It's like, well, do you know how to use a keyboard? It's, it's really, it's like, <laughs> dear name, um, uh, came come across uh, your property, uh, this property, which I, um, which I believe you own. Um, we'd perhaps be interested in purchasing it or discussing um, development of the property with you if, if you're interested in that this is this is a little bit about us like sort of thing it's not like and occasionally you see them on online um you know and some of the some some people that are good amazing deals it's just like hi how are you? like did you see um anthony laville's in in birmingham so yeah. like you like here's that he wrote like and that development is is huge and it's literally like hi i want to buy your property call me if you want like <laughs> and that's not that's not um that's not putting him down it's like if somebody wants to sell their property as long as you don't offend them um and some people will get offended by anything yeah um but as long as you don't offend them just like just send a letter don't like don't get bent about what words you use um and if you're spending hours poring over a really simple letter then save yourself time and find some more property yeah, I agree. You know, the letters I've done are very, very simple. Yeah, I might put a nice little design on some or make some really plain instead and just test it out. But yeah, it, it is pretty simple. I don't, I can't really see there being a magic bullet unless you say, hey, we want to offer you above asking. Uh, give us a call, <laughs> you know, above saying that. Yeah, I yeah. can't, I can't see too much of this there. Now, if I know you look at, if we go back to kind of commercial, I know you look at you know anything that can be done with PD. But given the kind of changes that have happened and, and maybe what you're seeing in the market, are there any particular types of, um, you know, permitted developments or even types of commercial buildings that you're seeing or you see could be, you know, good opportunities, end of 21, start of 2022? Um, I think there's, um, there's potential for like the, the inclusion of the D1, what was D1 within Class E, um, so uh, doctors, dentists, medical places, um, they were occasionally tough to get, depending on the authority, to get permission on. Um, we were about to sign an option on one, actually, of th- that type of premises. Um, so I think, though, you know, some, some of those have stood empty for whatever reason for years, and now there's there's a PD right so they might even have planning turned down now there's a PD right for them I think there's the, that's the biggest opportunity um, the other opportunity I guess is one of the changes for, for MA uh, from class O or M is class O or M it had to be like an office or shop before 2013 a date in 20, I think it was March in 2013 um, whereas now it's just a rolling two two year date stamp so for example if you apply on um 29th of september 2021 then as long as it was an office prior uh 29th of september 2019 then you can get that so i've seen is a is a dt d to v idea that i've not done i've seen plenty of applications on the planning portal turned down because uh, satisfies all the requirements, but no, we don't think it was an office before 2013. Well, those buildings now have PD rights um, as long as they're vacant. Um, 
So there's basically, you know, currently six years worth of buildings that have just have been opened up. So there are options there. Just like there are new things, just got to work within the constraints of of the PD if you want to do the PD route. Yeah, absolutely. And then you know, if we look at because we're kind of focused on, I suppose, the strategy you're doing like closer to home, um, you are also kind of doing another strategy like four or five hours from home up north. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's just three bed. Um, three bed houses, buying three bed houses, refurbishing them, BRR basically. Um, and it's, it's really, it's really unsexy. It's just building a portfolio, um, for cash flow, um, and letting it, letting them out to, to fam- families just after getting them downvalued by a survey. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Classic. Um, yeah. So that's, it's, it, that's all good. That's just in the Northeast. Um, and, uh, we had an offer accepted on another one on Monday, actually, so a couple of days ago. So um, that will be the fifth, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, got a couple in refurb at the moment. So yeah, it's good. It's all. It's it, it's good. That's it's meant to be hands off. Like I don't want to be driving up to the northeast again. It's like it, it, it's leveraging other people's time. There's 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 project managers up there that can project manage it for less than the fuel I'd spend if I could buy fuel at the moment. Um, going there and back every week, uh, not to mention the fact that they know local trades um, and don't get ripped off by them. So, you know, we leverage their time and, and, and I go up once a quarter normally to either look over a new purchase or uh, the end, end of a refurb. And yeah, we're trying to sort of keep it like buy one a quarter. And if you get, you know, buying one whilst refurbishing another one whilst uh tenanting and refinancing another so yeah it's mm-hmm. like you know BRR is not not easy at the moment and we are leaving money in even the one that we thought we weren't meant to be but um but yeah we can to an extent we can afford afford to do that and we'll mm. we'll, we'll sell one of them or two of them and I think that's, you know, it's a nice way to do it. I mean, I say to a lot of people, look, you can have a strategy closer to home, which is more capital intensive, whether it's commercial to resi, whether it's just flips, which will generate big chunks of cash. And then you take a percentage of that, you know, give it to a good deal source, which, you know, as we both know, are very, very difficult to find, but <laughs> give it to them, let them go the portfolio, you know, kind of on the side where it is as hands off as possible. Yeah pay the fee, leave more money in, take less profit, but have more life um, and keep doing that strategy local to you. Now, I think there's something to be said for doing something like that. And I think a lot of people maybe go in and say, oh, well, I want to do buy-to-let because, you know, everyone knows buy-to-let and it's kind of, I want passive income. But it's like, actually, well, you know, could you do something else closer to home, aka, you know, if you live in London where it's more expensive, to then give you the money, the time, whatever, to kind of do this thing somewhere else and so David this brings us kind of almost to the end of the podcast now is there any technology or software or apps that you really can't live without um couldn't live without Nimbus which is the uh the mapping software for the commercial to resi stuff um I mean obviously there are competitors but uh I, I love Nimbus um for what I want it works it works great and I literally use it every day for initial due diligences. 
it's it's great and then even though my wine's about the market right move I, I, you know <laughs> i don't buy prop- property of it but i still couldn't do without it in fact we're looking at residential property like we're looking at moving probably we're probably a year away from moving actually but um you know i look at right move every evening normally while the kids are falling to sleep sort of thing um so like i'll sit on the landing and look at right move so yeah it's um those two are probably uh probably it. and then uh, and then google suite like it's just just brilliant g suite is you know what it's an unsung hero because it's free give you so yeah. much storage it has you know you don't need to pay microsoft for their clunky apps it did basically has everything there much better much nicer and fully collaborative like g suite is like you know you can run your business especially in property on it and it yeah doesn't really cost anything at all yeah it's amazing it is pretty epic uh david if you could have dinner with any three people dead or alive so i will allow some resurrections here uh who would it be with and what would you eat right um that's a that's that's, that's a good one i probably well, firstly i'd eat um i'd eat uh surf and turf like a really good fillet steak with lobster tail because mm. it's just like it's just unbeatable yeah um i would I don't know, I'd, I'd probably i'd quite like to um have dinner with barack obama so he's probably be one mr barack yep um probably go for and go for a musician like probably some somebody like john lennon mm. um just like you know he's a beetle and obviously everything that happened uh, i'd love to speak to him about it um and then uh, and then i probably i'd probably say my dad he, he passed away when i was little um so I'd probably probably have dinner with him as well i love it great answers uh david if people want to follow you on instagram and i strongly recommend they do there's a lot of value in what you post uh, i'll obviously put your instagram tag in the show notes for them to follow and is that the best way for people to get a hold of you yeah it's by far the best like i'm, I'm on instagram uh most of the time and there's like there's yeah there's i post most days or every, every weekday anyway uh, and it's just all my sort of learnings, failings, and uh, what goes right and what goes wrong. And like, if you're into commer- if, you, if you're looking at commercial Terezi and direct to vendor, then it will probably be interesting because it's you know it's literally whatever I'm doing. And there's, there's, I say there's lots of moving parts, and I'm still very much learning. Um, so yeah, that's the best that's the best way to to see what I'm doing and also to come and have a chat. Amazing. David, thank you so much for coming on the Tesh Talks podcast. Pleasure. Loved it. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.